Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. All right, um, first of all, I, I just want to say how impressed I am that each of you is here um, in, the, in the evening, <laughs> taking up your time when I know there's much to study for and prepare for and other things going on around campus. It, it shows that you want to see things uh, look the way God wants them to look by just your presence here. And so I want to honor you for that, each and every one of you in the room. I also would ask if you just take a second and honor the person that's in the room with you and just tell them thank you for being here. All right, just look at somebody, hug them, handshake them, high five them, do something, but just say thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah. Because the truth of the matter is they didn't have to, right? Right? The truth of the matter is we didn't have to. Um, but you are. And so I wanted everybody to feel, you know, respected and honored for being here. So before we get into, like some, converse, like, some conversation and dialogue and ask some questions, what I wanted to do, so there was a lot of things I kind of threw out this morning around the image of God, around um, the need for one another. But I want to I kind of lay a foundation that will hopefully springboard us into our dialogues around how things even got to this place and why we should care, right? So there's history that goes far beyond any books we've written <laughs> that will probably highlight the differences in human beings. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we as, you know, as Christians, using Christianity as our, our common ground and our common foundation, are really honest with it ourselves, um, we recognize that from the very beginning, there has been an issue with us being about ourselves and desiring things to be the way we want them to be individually. Um, and that's really been an issue. I'll tell you a story. I remember the very first time I took my, my oldest daughter, Jasmine, to school. And uh, she went to a Chicago public school and in Chicago public schools they wear uniforms. And so she had to wear khaki pants and like a light blue top, all right? And I remember at home, she was in kindergarten. She was so cute. You know, she had her little khakis on and her blue top. And we were taking pictures the first day of school. She had a book bag on. And me and my wife were just so excited, you know, just taking pictures, putting them all on social media and stuff. And so my wife was working somewhere else, so I was a school teacher, so I got to drop her off at school on my way to my school. So I dropped her off, and you know, she's in kindergarten, and so I'm gonna send her to the playground, and I'm like, okay, have so much fun, I'm so proud of you, but, you know. And I'm watching her, and she's walking away, and she's very nervous. This is just a sea of kids. And she walks away, and she kinda looks back at me, and I'm like, it's gonna be fine, just go, go. You know, and I'm looking, oh, so cute. And I stayed and watched her. And watched her. It's like, where's my daughter? Because what happened was, as the further she got away from me, the more she began to blend in with every other kid that had on khaki pants and a light blue shirt. And what had seemed so unique and beautiful to me, what had seemed so cute at home, and I was taking pictures, and I was so glad to see her in her khakis and blue pants, now became a problem because... I no longer saw the uniqueness of Jasmine. All I saw was a sea of khaki pants and blue shirt. 
And it was at that moment I realized, I was like, oh my. Right? I thought she was cute and it was going to be a unique thing. But what I realized is that uniform, right, really strips us of what we actually desire. What we actually desire is unity. Unity and uniformity cannot happen simultaneously. In order for unity to happen, there must be diverse groups of people coming together to make unity. You cannot have unity without diversity. Unity without diversity is uniformity. Like, oh, makes perfect sense. And so when I think about John 10, when Jesus prays, his biggest prayer for his church is that, Father, let them be unified as we are. Jesus recognized in his prayer that him and the Father, although they're one and the same, I'm not going to sit here and try to explain the Trinity to you because we'll all be confused. But yet somehow there was diversity there. And because there was diversity, he said they were unified. And his prayer was that his people, the church, would be unified as they are. So if unity includes diversity and you cannot have unity without diversity, the first thing we have to recognize is, is that we cannot create God in our own likenesses and images. God creates us in his likeness and image. I told uh, my friend uh, here this morning a, a, a great quote by Anne Lamott. I love it. She said, you know that you have made God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same things you hate and likes all the same stuff you like. And if that's the truth, that when you think about God, God would really love the stuff you love and really dislike the stuff you dislike, then probably that's not God you're worshiping. The first questions we have to ask ourselves when we step into these type of dialogues is, okay, what would the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob be saying about this conversation, not the God of me? Because there's a good chance that the God you've been worshiping all these years is only a small portion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Secondly, you have to ask yourself, if I can't make God in my own image, but I have to be made in his image, then I have to ask myself, what's missing? I am only a part of his image, so what's missing in my own life? What's missing? What relationships, if people from all over the world are created in his image and I don't have relationships with many people outside of my own, then what's missing? And the last thing I want to do before I, I ask some questions of you is I kind of want to lay out this foundation. Now, Genesis 1, all right? Genesis 1, real popular passage, right? Everybody in Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, right? That one. 
What I love about Genesis 1, I'm going to walk with my Bible a little bit because I don't want to think y'all, y'all think I'm preaching. I'm not really preaching. I'm really having a dialogue here. Is, is that God makes some pretty bold claims. First of all, God, the ultimate artist, I just met my friend, a graphic design artist over here. He's like, God, the ultimate artist, starts off the book, history, showing off his creative genius. Painting beautifully. And when he gets done with everything, every single day, he has a phrase, like a catchphrase that he says about everything he creates. What's that catchphrase? It was good. You know, God, I mean, every artist knows, right? Like, you get done, when I write a good rhyme, and I'm like, I saw people go, ooh, I'm like, that was good. <laughs> right? It's good. So God had moments like that. Every day he did something else, boom, he was like, it's good. Okay? And, but what I, what, what I love about this phrase is, if we were to actually translate the actual phrase into to English into to a better English phrase, it actually wouldn't be, it is good. It would actually be, it is functional. It works the way it's supposed to work. That word in Hebrew is mehod tov. It means it does what it's supposed to do. So when I made the sun, the shine, and the moon at night, it keeps doing that. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's good. Right, I'll give you an example. If you have a car, right, anybody like to work on cars or have cars or like that, right, you know that there are a lot of moving parts that work in the engine to make them work. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a city boy, right? I know how to change the oil. That means I take it to the oil change place and they change the oil. Right, other than putting gas in and maybe putting some windshield wiper fluid in it, other than that, I don't know anything about that car. But I do know that under the engine there's all this stuff that happens. Pistons pump and sparks fly and things rotate and roll and flip and bounce. And when they don't do that, if I stick my key in or nowadays push the button, right? When I do that, if my car goes, shoo, 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 that's not good. <laughs> but whenever I press the button or turn the key and it comes on, that's good. It's functional. It's doing what it's supposed to do. This is what God says about the world. It is functional. It is doing what I told it to do. But then Genesis 3 happens, right? And in Genesis 3, there's an issue. What God created is no longer doing what it was supposed to do. Man has decided to do something else. Woman has decided to do something else. And so now you've got God, right, who recognizes that it is good, and I'm here to let you know that nowhere in the Bible does he take that back. It continues to be good. God doesn't take back. Because he understands that good is not just like, oh, it's, it's all right. It's functional. It does what it's supposed to do. So what happens in Genesis 3 is that people don't become bad. The world doesn't become bad. It's still good because good means functional. Actually, what happens is the world becomes dysfunctional. That's what happens. People become dysfunctional. We stop doing things exactly how they're supposed to be. Now, let me ask you a question. If I got you a car, and you got this car, and you've been driving it, and you had it, and it was nice, and it was new, and everybody said, wow, that car is good. That car is nice, man. It's good. And then one day, you turn the key, and it doesn't work. Do you just get out the car, leave it on the side of the road, and say, this car is done. It's stupid. I'm not using this car no more. No. What happens when our car isn't functional? You get it fixed. You take it to a repair shop. 
And we say, can you inspect what's going on inside this hood and fix it so that the car can be functional again? As Christians, what we believe is that Jesus is the one who fixed the engine. And the reality of our campuses, of our world, of our cities, is the fact that we live in a place that's dysfunctional, but we as Christians know the repairman. We got him on speed dial. So whenever it breaks down, we're not supposed to go, well, look, I don't understand how to reach out to these folks, man. They keep ignoring me or they're not listening or every time I try, I get a rebuttal. So you know what? I'm leaving the car there. I'm done. We don't get to do that. We got the repairman on speed dial. Today, what we're doing today is we're entering into a dialogue that says we in this room all believe that Jesus has already fixed the engine. Today, we want to get back in the car. Today, we want to believe that if we press the button, it will move. Today, we want to believe that when we put our key in, the pistons will pump, the sparks will glide, the, the, the belts will rotate. Things will work the way they're supposed to because of Christ. And so we got to stop leaving the, the brokenness and, and, and just leaving it on the side of the road. That's what, that's what today is about. Today is an opportunity to get back in the car and say, you know what? No, I believe it'll move. Yeah, we live in a dysfunctional world. But I'm so glad that we know the man who brings functionality back. So today, as we start our dialogues, around race, around gender, around culture, around class, today we do it with the foundation of Mehoto. He's good. She's good. He's good because of Christ. And all the dysfunction in the world is real. But just because the car makes a little noise or thumps and bumps a little bit as you drive it, doesn't mean we're supposed to leave it on the side of the road. So let's engage each other. Let's really talk about what it means to be created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, the same chapter, he, he says, okay, now let us make humans in our image and our likeness. Watch this word. And give them dominion over the earth. That word dominion is the word salem in Hebrew. And it's actually the same word they use for the word icon in the Greek or idol, so the statues that are made, that they worshiped, or idol worship, right? The statues were actually the salem of that God, the icon. In the New Testament, right, Caesar put his icon on the coins, on the money. And Jesus has a dialogue with the Pharisees because they're trying to trip him up, and they say, Jesus, here's one of these coins with Caesar's face on it, right? Should we, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because they were hoping to trick him. And that if he said no, then Rome was going to be mad. And if he said yeah, then the Jews were going to be mad. But Jesus understands the connection between the image of God 
and the icon on the coin. And he says, the Salem, whose Salem, whose image is that on the coin? And they respond to him, it's Caesar. He says, good. For the first time, I want you to really hear what Christ says in this, in this passage. He says, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give him what has his image on it. Give him the coin. And give to God what belongs to God. Who bears the image of God? Who was the Salem of God? We are. He says, go on and give Caesar his coin, but you give yourself. All of who you are. Your culture, your race, your eye color, your hairstyle, your background, whether you used to shoot animals in the backyard or whether you, like me, ran from folks with guns. You bring all of that and you give it to God because he's created you as you are in his image. And we need to understand you in order to understand a portion of God. You, all of us, are the Salem of God. Now, with that being said, if we're honest with ourselves, have we actually looked at one another as physical markers of where God rules? Whatever Caesar's coin went, wherever Caesar's image was, that meant that Caesar ruled there. And wherever God's Salim, God's markers, God's images are, that means that God rules there. So now when you see another human being, whether they're on the side of the road begging, or whether they're in your classroom and they're your professor giving you a grade, they mark the fact that God rules there. And it is with this understanding that we begin our conversation about diversity. We need each other. You cannot know yourself fully or God fully without knowing one another. There's no other way to say it. So what I want to do as we start opening up the floor and dialogue is this. I want you to take a minute to think before you really open your mouth. And I want you to think about what is a tangible step that you could make towards trying to understand someone whose Salem looks different from yours? What's one tangible step? What's one thing you could do when you woke, wake up tomorrow that might be different from something you did today that could help you to understand someone different from you? you know, as you think about that, every doubt that pops in your mind, those are the questions that you need to begin with. Because I'm here to let you know, I truly believe that for every action you take, there will be an equal and opposite reaction. For every opportunity you have to do what God wants you to do, there will be an enemy who will want you to do something different. So those doubts that come in your mind, that will never work. I'm scared, I don't know if I should do that. All those doubts? Those are the equal reactions to the actions that you should take. So is anybody brave enough in the room to begin by sharing a fear?
I want you to share a fear or a doubt. As you think about the one, so maybe you want to start off with your one actual step. step. This is the one thing I know I can do right now. But here's a doubt and here's a fear that I have. All right? So I want you to think about it. I want to give you time to think. I always give you, as an elementary school teacher, it's called wait time. I want to give you wait time. Think, process. What's one actionable step that you can do? And then what doubt or what fear actually comes along with that? Maybe somebody in the room going, I still don't understand why I need to do it. That's an okay statement too. But I want us to dialogue. All right. So we got this notion of, I could just easily tomorrow go out and introduce myself to somebody different and begin a relationship. But what if I'm considered the representative for everybody that looks like me? What if I'm considered the representative of everyone who has my hair type, everyone who comes from my economic background, everyone who, that's a lot of pressure. What if I'm having a bad day? Does that mean that they're going to think when on my bad day that that's how everybody like me is? The beautiful thing about putting things like that out in the air are that those of us who may be different, we can say what, they, what she would hate is if I was to, to believe that everyone who looks like her acts like her. And you can know that. Like you can take her statement and say, if I build a relationship with someone different with, than me, I should not assume that everyone that comes from their race, culture, gender, whatever, acts like them. I should not make them the spokesperson for their, for their entire thing. They're just one person I met. And I need to go in relationship with them, their story, their reality. Everybody hear that? That's what you desire. So we have a room full of people. Maybe some of you sit on the right side. Maybe some of you go to the, what was the other one called? The booths. Booths, yes. If he comes and sits at the table, or you see him attempting to sit at another table, maybe you join him. Because he already has some fear around not being taken genuine. You see what happens when we put out in the air our actual fears and our actual worries, right? Because what will typically happen is we'll have an actionable step, but we'll allow doubt and fear to cancel it out and just stay in our comfort zone. But now that it's out there, he's held accountable. If you don't see him doing it, somebody needs to be saying, when's the last time he sat on the other side? Because he told us, right? Have you introduced yourself to somebody new today? She told us. Because we're all here because this is good. That's what we said. How can we encourage one another? Anybody else in the room ever felt that way? Just raise your hand. Not alone, bro. You are not alone. But those people whose hands went up are people that if you could be in relationship with them, if you could step out and see, they might be able to help you walk a journey that you, that's really hard to walk on your own. This is why we need each other. I'll never forget the moment I realized, like when I got back home, because uh, I went through the same thing. I came down to Alabama, and you know, I tell people this, like when you come down here, you don't come back. They beat you like you're going to be a Christian, you know. 
And so I, I got back to Chicago, and all my homies that I grew up with, man, were still doing the same stuff we used to do when I was in high school. And I'm like, word, y'all still, like, stand in front of the liquor store and all that stuff? Like, that's crazy. And, um, but I was super embarrassed to talk about being a Christian, right? And um, everybody knew I could rap, so they would be like, yo, Jay, bust a flow, whatever. But now I was, like, all Christian. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel like rapping today, you know. Um, what happened was when I was a school teacher, I had a kid that came to me and said, Mr. Brooks, I heard you can rap, right? Now, I was in the public school, and so you're not supposed to talk about God and all that stuff. But he was asking. He's like, man, bust a flow for me. I was like, I'm not going to do that in the middle of class, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, when everybody leave, I just stay behind for a few minutes. You can spit something for me. I really want to hear it. I don't know no teachers that rap. And I was like, I can't do that, you know. It's just not right. It's not appropriate, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, Mr. Brooks, come on, man. Put some flow for me, man. Let me hear it. And I wouldn't do it. Like, I wouldn't do it partly because, you know, I was worried about my job. But secondly, because it was just kind of like, well, I want you to see me as your teacher, not as this, you know, cool rapping guy or whatever. And uh, unfortunately, that young man got into a fight with his brother that night. And his own brother stabbed him. They were fighting, but his brother didn't expect it to go that far. He stabbed him. He ended up dying. And it was this big thing at the school. Like, kids were, like, going crazy and nuts. And I can remember the haunting feeling that it was for me to know that God had given me a gift to share. And someone was begging me for it. I turned them down. And the next day they were gone. And it became a catalyst for me to always realize that every opportunity I have, Every opportunity I have to stand up boldly, especially when, like, I'm being asked to, you never, ever really know. I mean, what's the odds that the boy is going to die the next day? What's the odds? I wish I was that good a story writer. But it really, it really messed me up. And so I always say to people, when you get a chance to get around people who can encourage you to be yourself, because that's really what it's about, you know, being unashamed of Christ is an over-spiritualization of way of saying, I just want to be myself because you're a Christian. That's who you are. So you don't want to flip-flop and be fake around your old friends. You want to be who you are now. And all of us, whether we're talking about our, our faith walk or talking about our hair or talking about our, our fraternity or talking about whatever, we want to be ourselves ultimately and feel like being ourselves is okay. Sometimes it takes partnership and help. All right? Another question I want to ask you. Um, if I was to ask you how you would want people to remember you, when your time is up at Sanford, and you're alumni, no longer student, or you're retired staff, no longer present, what legacy would you like to leave here? How would, you, how would you like to be remembered? When they talk about you in the annals, they, somebody reads down the annals of, of, of Sanford and they come up and put your name, how would you like to be remembered? What do you think about it? Because that's an actual question. What would you want people to know you for? I'm asking this because I want you to put out amongst your peers in this room a little bit of who you are. Because there are many of us in this room you're only what we thought you are. You've been, you only can be what we thought you are this whole time. I don't know who you are. You are who I think you are. 
until you stand up and tell me who you really are. And we can build a relationship to where I get to meet that person. How would you like to be remembered? So I'd like to take a moment and try something. Um, all of us in the room have a couple things in common, um, but a lot of things that are diverse. And if we are honest with ourselves, the diversity in the room is the part that's the most pressing and also what's going to make us grow the most. But the things we have in common are the things that allow us to keep pressing and to grow. So I'll show you what I mean. We're diverse in all different ways, upbringings, race, gender, all the different ways that you can be diverse, we're diverse in that way. Even some of us in our faith walks, like some of us Christians, some of us not, all that good stuff, right? And th that diversity takes pressing in, like leaning into it, right? So in moments like this, where it can feel awkward or, or different, right? What we want to do is we want to lean back from it because it just, that's a little awkward, it's a little different. But really what scripture asks us to do and what God desires us to do is to lean in even harder. Because it is the fact that we're all created in the image of God and have that as our root that keeps us together, that keeps us pressing. So I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't even know if I was supposed to do, but at this point, what? What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to find somebody in the room right now. You knew it, huh? She said, I knew it. Somebody in the room right now. You may have seen them on campus. You may have just waved and said hello. You may have just spoken. You don't know their name. You don't know their story. You don't know how they got to Sanford. You don't know their dreams in the future. I want you to spend the next 10 minutes in a dialogue trying to find out as much as possible. But here's the real challenge. Now, I'm not trying to force friendships. What I'm trying to do is trying to knock out the, the kind of leaning back that's happening. I want you to lean into the conversation and walk away knowing some, some pretty specific things about somebody you didn't know before you came in. Ask about family, if the person is comfortable talking about it. Ask about dreams, aspirations, majors, all that surface stuff. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to give an American answer to the question of who are you. An American, question, American answer to the question who are you is, uh, you know, can you tell me about yourself? Who are you? Oh, well, I'm a junior at Sanford, and I major in so-and-so and so-and-so, and then when I grow up, I want to be a blah, blah, blah. That's what we do when we go to business meetings. They say, you know, how are you? Let me tell you about yourself. Oh, I'm April, and I'm a campus minister. The question, who are you, actually is, well, you know, um, I grew up with a, uh, without my dad in my life, and um, so that has scarred me pretty bad. Like, that's who I am. But we don't do that. We give the safe, lean-back answer. I'd like you for once to do the opposite. 
You took the risk. You came. Football players, you tired. You showed up anyway. Take the moment and stop saying that you would like to see this happen. Stop lying to me and saying you want this to happen and then laughing when the opportunity comes. Don't lie to me because you don't have to impress me. If knowing someone different than you doesn't seem important, it's because you have created God in your own image. You have a moment now to actually interact with another part of the image of God. Another person's story, another person's background, another person's future, another person's dreams. And I want you to really do it. But here's what happens when discussions start, when, when dialogue starts, all right? This becomes the opportunity for this group in this room to begin a movement, all right? When I watch the, 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 all the movies and documentaries and pictures and stuff about great revolutions, American Revolution and Civil Rights Movement and all these things that were like, you know, great changes in history, they always try to show when there's like 250,000 people there. But the, the reality is they often start in small numbers with small people who actually believe it can happen. Today, as that chatter was filling this sanctuary, I believe God was finally saying, unity. My prayer echoes Judas' prayer in John 10. I pray that the people of God that attend Sanford University would be unified as God is unified. And that every day that they wake up, they would have one tangible way of showing the entire campus what it means to be integrating Sanford. Don't let it die today. Don't let this be a one-time event. Right? I'm finna go real funny on you, like, let's do a high school musical on this joker. <laughs> you know? Football players who like to make creme brulee, like, let's make this happen. <laughs> be fully who you are and be okay with it. And make new friends. You know, I was talking to Carter and telling him, you know what, every once in a while, you know, I called him a bridge person. But he's a, you're a bridge person, that's what you are. And the harder part about being a bridge person is that you often get walked on. All of us are bridge people now. Trying to connect across lines, trying to hop over fences, trying to reach across, and you will get walked on. Sometimes by the very people you're reaching out to. But if every bridge ceased being a bridge because it got walked on, we would never cross over. So continue to work. It is work. It is work. But it's good to know. It is good to know that it's kingdom work. So to all my people in the room, 
I want to say thank you for allowing me to be a part of what I think is one of the most powerful movements of God's kingdom, of God's people recognizing how much we need each other. There's a song by Hezekiah Walker that I absolutely love. Hezekiah Walker is a gospel, African-American gospel singer. Wrote a song that simply says, I need you, you need me. We're all a part of God's body. Yeah. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. Then he says, it is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me, and I need you to survive. Now, the second part is the part that I want to sing. Because I'm praying that it'll get in your spirit and your mind, and it'll be one of those things like those annoying commercials that get stuck in your brain. Like, I want this to get stuck in your brain. Like, next time you walk down campus, you just hear people humming. <laughs> yeah. It goes like this. It says, I pray for you. You pray for me. I love you. I need you to survive. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive. I pray for you. You pray for me. I love you. I need you to survive. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. As you leave this place, pray for each other. Ask each other to pray for you. That person you met today, pray for them by name tonight. Pray for their dreams. Pray for their pains. Pray for their hopes. And recognize that because you built a relationship with them, that's a friend. I can never harm them with words. I can never. If somebody says anything about them, it's like they said it about my friend and now it's on. I love you. And even way up in Chicago, I need you to survive. And that is the beginning of integrating Samson. This room today, I close with God's catchphrase. It was good. It was good. Go tonight and be the people of God. I love you guys, and I'm proud of you. There are campuses all over this country that are not ready to make the steps you made just tonight. As you leave, remember to pray for each other. Let me pray for us before we go.
Father God, I'm in awe of your patience with your people. Since the beginning of time, God, we have been struggling with wanting things to be our own way. Today, God, we offer up to you the idol of comfortability. We sacrifice it and we kneel down at the foot of your cross saying, God, we no longer want to be comfortable, but we want to be courageous. Help us to live and lean into the tension of genuine relationships. Help us to step out and make mistakes and say dumb things and do, do things that we, we didn't, didn't know were incorrect and say stuff that we didn't know we shouldn't say just for the sake of truly being brothers and sisters. Pray for Sanford University. Pray for every leader, every staff member, every administrator, every student, every professor that as we reflect to the world the kingdom, that when they step on campuses dedicated to your name, they will see the people of God working hard to look like the people of God. And on that day, when Revelation 7-9 comes to fruition and we're all in line, worshiping you together, every nation, every tongue, every race, every tribe, remind us, God, that that journey began today so that we can be prepared for eternity. We love you. Today, as much as we know we need you, God, to survive, you reminded us that we need each other. Teach us to live that out more and more every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hug the person you talk to, tell them I love you and ain't a thing you could do about it. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.